This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome to Series 2 of the MDT. I'm Joe Preston. And I'm Ian Wilkinson. And this episode, we are going to be talking about frailty. But first of all, we've got a little bit of news and feedback from the first series. Yeah. So I have three things to tell you, Joe. Three? Three. First thing is a little bit of an update on how many people are listening. I know. Very pleased. It's very exciting. We've had over 9,000 downloads so far. Yeah, you're not the only one listening. No, <gasps> super cool. What would be really cool is if we could have some reviews or some feedback. Uh, so please do keep sending us any comments that you have on, on any of the episodes. But if you're listening on iTunes, then you can put a little rating. Yeah, five would be Go good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, secondly, the we did a recording at the BGS. We did. And that's being edited down and that will be out soon. Yes. As a, and if that goes, if you like that, then we can do a similar thing at the next Geriatric Society conference meeting, which is in, I think November. It's in November in Glasgow. Glasgow. But cool. we went to Liverpool in the spring and we did like a summary of what we liked, what we thought was uh, good. So if you didn't make it and you're, you've thought about going to the BGS conference before, weren't quite sure what it was about, and we did a bit of a summary. And then finally, we have some feedback from the MD teaser. So the yes. last MD teaser was the the answer was a banana board, and we have some feedback from Anne, who's an occupational therapist in Surrey, who says when using a banana board, you should pay attention to the patient's clothing, as the wrong clothing or skin, if they're wearing shorts or something, could actually increase the friction and lead to skin damage. Mm. And obviously, one of the clues was will reduce friction, and other non-banana type makes are available. Yes, the MDT podcast. So this week we're going to be talking about frailty and as with each topic that we cover it means it's a slightly different thing to a different person at the MDT but this week uh, we've decided to talk to some people from the FrailSafe team which we'll talk about a little bit later and that's an initiative looking at identifying frailty routinely in hospital. Yeah and frailty is really common. It affects mm -hmm. somewhere between 9 and 25% of the population in one of the studies we'll talk about later in Freed's study, it was 6%. So it's important. It's frequently occurring. And at the moment, there's a real drive to identify patients earlier in the course mm. of its development and lead them into the CGA process, which we talk about at the beginning of the first series. So yes. A nice mirror there. Link back. Uh, yes, it's really important to be identifying frailty and so there's lots of you'll hear about frailty teams in your hospital or if you're in the community, kind of drives to pick up people with frailty to kind of give them proactive care earlier on. All right, so let's start with what is frailty? Yeah, well, I think it's sometimes better to think about what it's not, actually. Mm. And it's not old age, because age is sort of time dependent. So in the 1400s, you were old if you were maybe in your 30s or your 40s. So age doesn't really work for me. I also don't think it's disability related, because... It's not just you, Ian. <laughs> no, good, good. Because it's entirely possible to have a disability and not yeah. be frail. So if you think about someone that has had an accident and has lost their leg, then they're have a disability but then doesn't mean that they're frail yep, at all exactly and then it's not just having comorbidities either so these things are all linked in together if you have frailty you're more likely to have disability you're more likely to have lots of comorbidities but they don't equal each other so it's important to think about this in in kind of separating those things out and it's not just aging mm, because we all absolutely. know six-year-old people who are frail 
and those that are in their 90s who are apparently not. Yeah, so it's distinct in some ways from the normal ageing process. And I think Professor Rockwood has a a quote, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, but one of the things is that whatever definition you use for frailty, it should tease out the different effects of age, so like chronological age, your numerical age, and ageing, which is the risk of all your sort of adverse outcomes that occur as you get older. Mm. And they kind of accumulate as you go on, don't they? Yes. So the American Geriatrics Association have actually got a frailty definition Mm. that I think works and is quite nice and for me is quite succinct and it's so it's a it's a state of increased vulnerability to stressors due to age related declines in physiological reserve mm-hmm. across neuromuscular metabolic and immune systems so it's really for me it's that that loss of homeostatic reserve that loss of your ability to maintain what is yeah. normal within the body yeah or an inability to maintain the balance, yeah. the loss of balance. And I think that kind of speaks to a lot of the people with frailty that you see is that kind of that picture exactly that you're talking about. But one thing that that definition kind of neglects is the kind of cognitive and social elements um, to frailty that can be really important. So if you've got really good cognition and you've got really good social support, you might have some deficits in your kind of physiological homeostasis, but you're really well supported or you yeah. can compensate for that in another way. And when those things disappear or those things decline as well, um, then it brings out those vulnerabilities in other areas. And that, for me, I think, is sometimes how patients with frailty present, actually. Yeah. Because their physiology is doing everything that it can to keep the body ticking along. And then suddenly you have one of a whole host of potential complications. It could be anything really quite small that sparks a decline and could lead to dehydration, Mm. uh, delirium, poor nutrition breakdown of the skin, pressure ulcers, reduced resistance to infection, falling, all sorts of things. Absolutely. Basically, everything that we covered in Series 1. And some of the things we're going to do this this time. And I I kind of try and describe it to um, to kind of relatives who who kind of haven't come across this idea of frailty before but know something's wrong with their family, is that their body has been doing everything it can to kind of keep on the top of this kind of mountain edge and it's been putting all of its focus into staying in the center staying upright staying on that path and something comes along a gust of wind a chest infection whatever it is that that pushes them they fall sideways and because everything's been going into keeping them up there actually to get back up is so much more work yeah yeah and you might never quite get there i had another good analogy if it's like a car that's driving along and if you keep your car and you keep it serviced it'll Mm. keep going but someone who's frail the the fuel tank is running low so from the outside you may not see that but it's only as the, the car starts to cough and splutter as you run out of fuel that suddenly everything falls apart you and, and you, you notice and it stops and you can't drive it. But if you could see inside the car, if you could see inside the fuel tank, you could see this coming. Yeah. But we don't have a way of doing that with people yet. So some, one of the things we're going to talk through today is some of the ways that you uh, might identify people with frailty and also some of the ways that people have tried to uh, define frailty to help you identify them in your clinical practice. So there's two main schools of thought, isn't there? Mm. Both of which sort of converge on a final common pathway, I think, yeah. if you think about them long enough. But should we start with Freed? Yeah, so Freed is the first one and Rockwood is the second. So Freed came up with this definition of frailty, which was based around five characteristics of patients. Um, and it's a secondary analysis of a group of patients in a cardiovascular health study. And there were 5,300 people in this study and they followed them up for about between four and seven years. And what she says is that you need to have three of these five things to be frail. 
And those things are unintentional weight loss. Second is self-reported exhaustion. Third is weakness, measured by grip strength. Fourth is slow walking speed. And five is low physical activity. So and, quite simplistic, yeah, straightforward and quite, things. Quite, and, and if you, like grip strength, we might not be able to measure in a routine outpatient setting. But actually all the rest are fairly simple to, to check. Do. Weight loss, exhaustion, walking speed and levels of physical activity. Mm. That's quite easy to assess. And what you found is that having three of those things, um, meaning that you're frail, that being frail is an independent predictor over the following three years of falls, worsening mobility, disability with ADLs, hospitalisation and death. So adverse outcomes. And if you had one or two of them, you had a risk of progression. So you were kind of pre-frail is what she yeah. called that. And people are now starting to think about whether or not uh, sort of rehabilitation or prehabilitation mm. may address this decline and potentially some yeah, things could be reversible. Stage. Yeah. Yeah. We got a really nice reference from Janet Thomas on mm. that that yeah. we will pop in the show notes um, just talking about a study looking at using sort of a graded exercise program in patients who were frail and looking at the outcomes. And the way that I like to think about this one is that it's kind of, it's not looking at the why, it's looking at the what are you presenting with. Yeah. Which is different to Rockwoods. We're going to talk about Rockwoods next. If you could only measure one thing, Joe, though, of those five things, what would you measure? Walking speed. Yeah. And it's one metre per second, so it's quite easy to, to measure, mm. quite easy to remember. It's one metre per second, so you can do a timed four metre walk or a timed up and go and look at the walking bit of that. And if they take more than one second to walk a metre, their outcomes are universally much, much poorer mm. than people that walk faster than that. Yeah. And again, there's some really nice references, quite um, simple, short articles about that that we'll put into the show notes so you can have a look and read a little bit more. And that's something, again, you can you can fit in so easily. You know, physiotherapists are doing this as part of their assessment all the time. In outpatients, as you say, you could do this very yeah. easily. So then the second way of thinking about frailty is Ken Rockwood's work from Canada. Yeah, so he kind of looks more at the what might be underlying it that we can pick up. Yeah, I think, so he's got kind of got two sides to it, isn't there? So we're going to talk a little bit later about the Canadian frailty scale. Mm. Um, but the, the bit here we're going to talk about is those physiological changes. Um, and the frailty index, and the frailty which you might index. have heard of. Yeah. So I think if we start with this, there's a nice quote from his paper that says, as people age, they too experience problems that can accumulate. As deficits, signs, symptoms, illnesses and disabilities accumulate, people become more susceptible to adverse health outcomes, including worse health and even death. This state of increased risk of adverse health outcomes is indistinguishable from the idea of frailty. So deficit accumulation represents another way to define frailty. So it's like every time you gain a deficit, which could be a symptom, it could be a sign, it could be a new medication... Um, the way that they define it. Every time you gain a deficit, your reserve value reduces, essentially. Mm. And so this leads on to the idea of a frailty index, where, without going into huge detail, you have a list of possible conditions or situations that an older person might have that you could count as deficits. So things like hypertension or COPD or polypharmacy. And you look at the maximum number that's possible and then how many your patients got, and that's going to give you a fraction or an index, mm -hmm. the maximum is 0.7. So that would be 7 out of every 10. So that would be 70% of the deficit your patient has. So that's everything that you yeah. think about. They've got 70% of it. And above 0.7 is basically incompatible with yes. life. Yes. So um, it, it shows that actually increasing frailty, and there's a correlation with the higher your frailty index is, 
the worse your outcomes are. Yeah. Longer term. And it doesn't matter particularly what deficits you measure. It does in that there's a paper that they published alongside uh, their main paper about the frailty index with a set of criteria for what deficits you can measure and which ones you can't. So, for example, something that is related to age but isn't causing a deficit, so having grey hair, for example, you can't count. That's not technically a deficit. And that's been reproduced in lots of different measurements and lots of different um, studies. It's been reproduced and this this 0.7 always comes out the same. Yeah. And I think if you look at complex systems, that 0.7, that 70% rings true. I can't find a reference for it, I'm afraid, but I've read somewhere that if you have a complex system, like a computer mm-hmm. or a car, you first start noticing symptoms of things not being right when about 30% of function has gone. So that's when you've bought your computer and you turn it on and it takes longer to start. You know, at that point that you go, do you know, this used to be ready by now. 30% of its potential processing and everything is gone. Mm. And actually it's when that continued decline and degradation of function, when you get to 70%, then the system stops working completely. Okay. Um, so I think it's a, a manifestation of complex systems rather yeah. than something particular to humans, yeah. which I think is really interesting. interesting. But both of those are... Uh, particularly the the frailty index are really good for research, but less good on the practical. Yeah, but there's a minimum thing. number of deficits you have to count. Yeah, isn't it? And it's quite a lot, so yeah. it's not something that's very easy for you to kind of in your clinic do yourself then and there. Um, but people have uh, started looking into how we might start to incorporate this in a kind of practical way. And one of the the things that has come out recently, sort of in the last year or so, is the electronic frailty index, which um, is Clegg et al. Um, published a paper and what they did was that they looked at GP level data that's routinely collected as part of being registered with a GP to generate to auto generate a frailty index Mm. so it could trigger this person might have frailty they may need an assessment without the GP having to do extra work which is really interesting I think I think that will increasingly become really helpful in in management of people with frailty and if we could get that to transfer out of the GP surgery as well and into hospitals and in other healthcare settings, that sharing of that kind of information would be really useful. And the second is FrailSafe, yeah. which is a bit like the FallSafe programme that we talked about in the Falls episode, which was episode five in series one. Mm-hmm. And so it's a safety checklist that's being implemented in a number of sites across the UK using a quality improvement methodology rather than a research-based approach. And essentially they wanted to design and test a tool that was simple to use, yeah. cheap, effective and then scalable for a wide variety of contexts yeah so yeah exactly wherever you are you can you can implement this and you can start saying okay might this person have frailty if they do what do we do about it so i think this is best explained by some people who have been involved in the project so we're going to hear now from a couple of people firstly we're going to hear from natalie offord who is a geriatrics registrar who has been involved in setting up this project then we're going to hear from Mareda Mali and Tom Hutchinson. Yeah, who are part of the Brighton cohort, if yeah. you like. The idea behind FrailSafe is that um, we know that when older people who are either frail or at risk of frailty come into hospital in an unplanned way, we know there's a great evidence base for the things that we should be doing. Mm-hmm. So like looking after pressure ulcers, doing a proper assessment for risk of that, um, removing equipment as soon as it's no longer necessary. Um, so we've got all this evidence for the things we should be doing, but actually we don't reliably do those things. And that's kind of in part, understandably, because of the complexity of how the systems we're working in, but also 
the healthcare that we're trying to deliver. And so the way in which we've tried to address that is um, by use of a checklist, um, which checklists have been used kind of outside of healthcare, but also quite famously in healthcare with a surgical safety checklist. Mm. So the surgical safety checklist was shown to um, act as a prompt between individuals to remind them of the things they should be doing at the yeah. start of surgery. And so the idea of failsafe is that you use the checklist not as a written piece of paper to tick boxes, but as an interaction between the healthcare professionals that are looking after the patient um, soon after they come into hospital mm. to say, are we doing the things that we know we should be doing? So it's really about prompting a human interaction. Yeah. So almost a check and challenge process. So you're taking part in the Frailsafe pilot here, aren't you? How long have you been doing that and what kind of prompted you to get involved in it? I've got a real interest in building teams and frailty care is very complex. And what I felt doing ward rounds is that we weren't joining up the skills at the bedside. And I thought this, looking at the Frailsafe, I read about the project and... Um, was excited about it because it seemed as though this was an opportunity to join join up great frailty care at the bedside. So I then applied and fortunately we were one of 12 pilot sites in the country um, to be chosen as a site for Frailsafe. Um, so we put a team together and attended um, all the projects. Frailsafe is a collaboration between the British Geriatric Society and the Health Foundation with a 500,000 budget. The task was to try and implement it using quality improvement methodology over the course of a year and with the guidance of the wider team. I got involved through our chief pharmacist with two time contacted um, and I was really excited about getting involved from just generally from pharmacy getting involved in a project like this. Um, so we put together a team of Tom, myself, a physiotherapist who works um, on our other site and another consultant. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get a nurse on board through time constraints, but it came out probably August 24. 14 yeah. um, and essentially the start of the project was in the end of September 2014 we went on a three-day um, residential kind of introduction course in Sheffield um, and we came back to site um, really excited really invigorated about putting together what could potentially change the face of frailty care the idea being is that it was a checklist um, that you would perform on a post-take ward round on an acute medical unit within 24 hours of admission. And what we decided to do in Brighton was that the pharmacist would join the post-take ward round and it was the pharmacist who would complete the checklist. Involved in the checklist was three questions um, to identify your frail patients and then going through the nine identifiable harms. And for us, and for me personally as a pharmacist, what was really heartening was that they included the medication review and medicines reconciliation. Mm. As with the surgical checklist, you know, yes, that has to be used in surgery, but in frailty care, it's not just geriatricians that need to use this. Mm. This needs to be right across the board in surgeons prior to their pre or post-op. And th that was a huge driver for us right from the beginning. And the second thing, we learnt very early on in our grand round, actually change is very, very difficult and you will be met with a lot of resistance and you have to expect that. But adding in another piece of paper was not going to achieve anything and it was going to make things difficult. So we had to try and, you know, maintain the rollout of Frailsafe with a very clear understanding that this has to go further and we're not just going to introduce another piece of paper that essentially will fail. And we really thought from the outset that, Yes, it was an amazing concept, but for us here, we knew that the uptake 
it would fizzle and it would fizzle mm-hmm. out very quickly. You have to have everyone involved and everyone enthusiastic. Absolutely. So by so we started to create um, single clerking paperwork and, and built up a um, kind of almost an example of, of what we thought it should look like, mm-hmm. including all of the key elements of Frailsafe. And that was handed to Rob and, and they did an incredible job with yeah, bringing all really of... Done well bringing all of the um, all of the frail safe aspects together so it is available for absolutely everybody to consider so the three questions to identify if a, pa- if a patient is frail um, is the patient confused do they have reduced mobility and are they in a care home and if you answer yes to any of those questions you continue on okay. to complete the rest of it um, and you identify if an if an assessment for delirium has been com- completed so is it completed does it yet need to be completed or is it not relevant so you have delirium dementia falls mobility, um, and then DNAR, if that's been considered at that point. You then move to, is a cannula present and is it still required? A catheter, um, does the patient have bed rails? And then the final section is, does the patient, have they had a medicines reconciliation and have they had a medicines review? The one criticism that we had initially was that um, dietitians weren't involved or anything to do with the MUS score. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we we saw the benefits immediately when patients came on to a pressure it. mattress and yeah. almost without the water low score being checked, we were seeing that patients were on, a, were on a pressure mattress and that was one of the biggest things we saw coming out of it. But they are really simple questions. They mm. are identifiable, known identifiable harms for patients yeah. coming in. So they're they're not groundbreaking, they're not anything new. It's just consolidating but what it's we already putting know them care. in one yeah. simple place that makes it just a lot easier. So I think that's that's really good, isn't it? Um, yeah. it shows that it's, they're making really good traction and getting it embedded. Um, and I think the, the methodology behind that is really interesting. So as we're recording this, they haven't published their data on it yet, but I know that it's coming soon. So I don't know, by the time this goes out, it may be ready. If not, it should be coming out soon. Um, Hopefully it'll be ready for the next Geriatric Society conference, which is in Glasgow, that we'll be going to and doing a podcast from as well. So if you're there, pop up and say hello. So that project was supported by the British Geriatric Society, so you can keep an eye out on their website. You can also follow Natalie on Twitter. She's at FrailtyReg. And I think there's a frail safe. There is a frail safe Twitter as well. So if you're a Twitterer... A tweeter. A tweeter. um, Follow them um, for for updates on what's going to happen. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens there. Yeah. There's some other tools out there as well. Mm. These are a little bit older, but I think still have really good Quite value. practical, yeah. useful things. There's the really excellent GP toolkit. And yeah, you then, showed me this. Yeah. It's actually really good. And it, it pulls out from Fit for Frailty, yeah. which was another BGS uh, work project a couple of years ago. And uh, that was looking at helping GPs and social workers and anyone who might be involved with the care of older people in the community to identify frailty, to understand what it is. It part one and part two is about commissioning services for, for frail old yeah. adults. So it's super relevant to everyone listening to this podcast, I think. Exactly. And so we'll put a link to the GP toolkit. Uh, in fact, I'll put the whole PDF of the GP toolkit in the show notes. Go wild, I know. Um, <laughs> and what is in it is it's just using the clinical frailty scale, mm. which is another piece of work from Canada and Ken Rockwood. Yeah. And this is a one of many frailty assessment tools and it's really sort of a set of pictures with guidance statements yeah. next to them um, about what the patient is like. Mm. Um, it's super quick to use and yeah. it's been validated in Canada next to the frailty index, so using the frailty index as the gold standard. 
And I really like it. It's on the clerking documents in my hospital. Mm. But Joe's Joe's making faces. I like its simplicity and that it's easy for people to recognise and use. And I think if you read the text, it's quite useful. Yes, you but have to read the text that goes with it. The pictures, which I think is what draws people to using it, are very disability focused. Yes. So they're about someone's independently walking along, someone's walking with a zimmer, someone's bed bound, someone's in a wheelchair. And so that kind of visual representation, it does, it just lends itself a little bit too much to disability for my, my, for my pure liking of it. But the, the comments in it. And also, are good. It, it lends itself to that particular snapshot. Yes. You know, so exactly. on that day that that person is unwell in hospital and with so their severe pneumonia, an they're going to look unit, more frail than they really yeah. are. Yeah. They've all but been bed. It's yeah, but it's um, it's in the toolkit and it, it's good as a an assessment tool. Yeah, and one of the things we have purposefully avoided doing in this podcast episode is talk about all the different frailty scores that there are out there because there are so many. Mm. Um, we will put a link to a good article that reviews lots of them. And there's a bit about it in the BGS podcast actually because we both went to a talk are using an mm. electronic European frailty index yeah. uh, type approach That's and, in and we talk about that in the podcast as well yeah. so yeah um, so if you want to know more about that it's got some nice tables and things and kind of summary of the plus and negatives but there are just so many uh, we thought we'd stick with the two schools of thought just going back to the GP toolkit yes because we got distracted which has never <laughs> happened before never. Um, it's it's really good there's also some paperwork in there for a basic CGA okay and also the start stop criteria mm. which we sort of touched on before I think probably. but I think we probably at some point need to do a whole episode on polypharmacy yeah if um, you'd be interested in that then let us know yeah but the links to the GP toolkit fit for frailty all of that will be in the show notes and to get to the show notes if you just go to our website which is www.thehearingaidpodcasts org.uk and then if you put a forward slash and put mdt and that's tea like a cup of tea it'll bring you to each of the episodes so we've heard from the frail safe team we've talked through the two main theories in the literature about mm. frailty and um, we've had a bit of a chat about the benefits of risk assessments and identifying patients mm. earlier there's much more we could talk about that but we'll maybe leave that for a, another time this is such a big area and oh, it's something huge. that's just really emerging in lots of different areas. So tell us what your experiences are. Anything else that you found that's quite useful, then let us know and we'll put it on the website and we'll tweet about it as well to let others know so we can share resources around this area. The MDT Podcast. Now it's the time of the week for our quiz, Joe. Yes, it is. Yeah, this is the MD teaser, the casually titled MDT item guessing game, where we will read a series of increasingly more simple clues about an item that a member of our MDT may use. We're going to do it to each other first, and then we'll give you a clue. I think we should reset the scores after last series, and I think we should keep a track of the scores this time. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's <laughs> so try. It's nil-nil. Okay. Do you want to go first? Uh, yes, I will go first. So... Your first clue, this item is waterproof. Ooh. Is this an air mattress? It is not an air no, mattress. because it has a waterproof coating, doesn't it? And we've had pressure mattress before. I so. know. Um, it requires a battery. Um, I don't know. Okay. Third clue is it's highly sensitive. Um, sensitive, waterproof, requires a battery. No, I don't know. Okay. It's bi-directional. Am I meant to guess this yes. from this place? No idea. 
UK when it's first presented in the field of astronomy. That's the final clue. That's the final clue. That's the one that I meant to get it off. Yep. Astronomy waterproof. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it a telescope? No, that's not waterproof. It's not generally bidirectional either. No idea. It's a bidirectional Doppler when you're measuring your ABPIs. (laughs) Ina's just staring at me. How how is that MDT related, Joe? Because anyone can use them, really. How are they waterproof? Are they really waterproof? Yeah, you put the jelly on, don't you? And then you use them. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) Well... What are your thoughts on that? If you think I'm right or wrong, <laughs> let us know. Tell us who was right. Right. Well, I had a selection of, of three. I'm, mm. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Joe, your first clue. Okay. Is this is an item for the MDT that is used by all, but only filled by the best. Okay, next clue. Uh, the second clue is it's not always a good thing. No, next clue. Next clue is it might have handles. Uh, I don't know. Okay. And the next clue is you drink from this. A mug? No. And the final clue is it has a spout. A beaker? A beaker. Uh, I was going to say that with the mug. The best people fill the beakers up if they're empty, but not every patient needs a beaker. Yeah. And now it's your turn. We've got one for you. Every episode, we're going to give you a clue. And we want you to tweet us your answers or your suggestions uh, to the hashtag MDTeaser. And if you get it right, there's a prize. The prize is a mug. It's a mug. It's an, an MDT, MDT mug. mug. <laughs> so the first clue mm-hmm. in series two Drum roll, please. is this was first invented in Prague, but Italy and the USA are important for its development. So if you think you know what it is, tweet us, as Ian says. Or if you don't want to be so public about it, you can email us through our website. Or you could even pop a suggestion on Facebook. You can. Uh, if you fancy going there as well. So this episode, we have talked about frailty. In the next episode of MDT, we will be talking about acute stroke. And then the one after that, we're going to be talking about bone health. We are. And the MDT will reconvene in two, two weeks. weeks. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a hearing aid podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk.